What's up, Sitwits? It's your host, Chris Chavez, and we are going to resume our regularly scheduled interview show after the new year, but I felt like we had one more episode in us for 2018, so I decided to bring on Sidious Mag staff writer Kevin Liao to join me in looking back at the best of 2018. We're going to look at the best performances on the track, on the roads, some weird things that happened, all that and more on this episode. So let's take a trip down memory lane for the last 12 months. Let's start the show. All right, it's the final Sidious Mag podcast of 2018. We are going to run down through some awards, and I've decided to bring on Sidious Mag staff writer Kevin Liao onto the show to help me do this. Kevin, how's it going? It's great. We have a you know tradition of a post-USA's podcast, so kind of starting this end-of-year tradition as well. Hopefully, we can do this every year from now. Yeah, last year, I think we were still fairly new to the scene. And we decided not to do kind of like a year-end wrap-up. This year, I've had a lot of fun doing this podcast. And also, we've decided to start naming a Sidious Mag Athlete of the Year. We're going to have two separate awards, the male and female athlete. And we're going to reveal those on December 31st on our site. And we're actually going to come up with some digital magazine covers as if Sidious Mag was actually a magazine. We're putting the mag part in Sidious Mag. So I'm very excited about that. We've got uh, video guy Kyle, who also does our graphics, graphics guy Kyle, working on those right now. But uh, we have plenty of awards to run through. Kevin, are you ready? I'm ready, and I'm excited to actually have a, a mag in the, in the Sidious Mag thing, because everyone asked me, hey, what's that running magazine you write for? I'm like, well, you yeah, know. Yeah, I know. It's- well, we did, we did do one zine. We did a zine before USA's in 2017, and if we had I think a little bit more resources. We would maybe try and put out more online digital zines, but we're going to come out with these covers. And if the demand is there, you know, why not make some prints? I think it'd be pretty cool. And then we can actually have people frame it, put it up in their apartments, whatever it is. But for now, you know, that's just an idea that we're swirling around. Also, for 2019, we're looking to add on two interns. So if you're listening to this and you're interested in possibly doing some intern work for Sidious Mag, email me, chris at SidiousMag.com. Uh, all right, let's get to some awards. We're going to start off with the Comeback Runner of the Year. So l- this is an award that goes to someone, I guess, who did, maybe didn't have the best 2017 or has been injured for a while. So Kevin, who do you have for Comeback Runner of the Year? So my nominee is someone who late in the year sort of reappeared uh someone we hadn't heard from for a couple years because of injury and that's cam levins um, who came out and ran a 209 debut marathon in toronto you know he's a guy who came out of southern utah in 2012 with great fanfare ran great at um his first olympic games in 2012 but then you know He's part of the Oregon project, got hurt. We really didn't hear from him for a couple of years. And so for him not to not to only just reappear, but run a great debut marathon, that was super impressive. And just given his track record of how many miles he runs, 
he's really going to have, I think, a strong career in the marathon and come championship races where, you know, you only have three Kenyans and three Ethiopians at some of these Olympic and world championship marathons. He's someone who's going to certainly be in the mix. Um, just like, you know, the American guys like Meb and, um, Dathan Ritzenhein were, uh, just a few years ago. Yeah. Cam's a great pick for this award. So I'm going to plug it. Episode number, let's see. He was the November 1st episode of this podcast, so you can go back and listen to that. And yeah, you know, it really does sound like he's found his own with the marathon, and I'm excited to see what he does in the event in 2019. He did leave open the possibility of maybe doing the World Championship Marathon because it would be kind of like a good tune-up for Tokyo, but uh, you can probably expect to see him. He had, I guess like the elites for Boston, like the international elites, haven't been announced, but he'd be someone who I think would fare pretty well on a course like Boston, I don't really see him going out to London to try and crack a really fast time and contend with some of those East Africans because he's just not quite there yet. So something like Boston probably makes a little bit more sense. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we'll see what he's got in store for next year. For my comeback runner of the year, I'm going to go with DJ Nigel Amos, who was the silver medalist in the 800 meters at the 2012 Olympics in London and really, I mean, I'll say it, he kind of sucked in like 2013 and 2014 and 2015 and 16 and 2017. I mean, he really was not himself. He had, he probably has like maybe to this day, I, I don't know how much it's improved, but one of the worst forms I've ever seen in like an 800 meter runner. If you watch that Olympic race from London in 2012, you're just his, the way he's pumping his arms and just flailing with, 200 meters to go. It's incredible that he ran like 142 at such a young age. And this year at the London Diamond League, we kind of got to see flashes of that old version of himself, which is not really an old version at all because he, he is so young. And he ran 142.05, which is, I think, the second fastest time of the year. So it's been a long time coming for him. I think more to stick with the 800 and I think more of a an American focus, just as an aside. I think I'd also give some kudos to Clayton Murphy as well as one of the big comebacks, at least in the 800 and on the American side, because he, in that same race, ran 143.12 and really shook off the fears that some of us had for him when he was injured during the 2017 season. And, you know, that double that he attempted at the 2017 Outdoor Championships in Sacramento is still very mind-boggling to me, like why anyone would have tried to do that in the same in the first place. Um, and I think he underwent like a small surgery, made some progression during uh, some solid progress during the outdoor season. And I think once he ran 353 in May at the pre-classic, it was a good sign for things to come. And he ended up popping that 143, but 142 is a little faster. I'm going with Nigel Amos for my comeback runner of the year. Yeah, and Amos, you know, his form, I mean, especially when you think of that 2012 Olympics race, contrast him with David Rudisha, who is picture perfect form. And then you had Amos coming in just behind him with like this god awful, whatever you want to call it. That really showed um, just how different and how weird his form is. And another thing that I think you mentioned a bit at the top about DJ Amos, I think people forget that he, after the 2012 Olympics, he announced he was quitting running to become a DJ. Uh, I still never saw any 
YouTube links to his uh, tracks or anything, but maybe SoundCloud. I don't know. He, yeah, he, he strike me as a SoundCloud guy for sure. <laughs> That's where the DJs hang is SoundCloud. Yeah. Um, but I guess uh, that part of his career has been abandoned and he's back to the track where uh, I'd argue he deserve, should be. Yeah. And he's been running with the Oregon track club out in Eugene. So maybe that's also paid off for him. Trivia question. I might throw some of these at you throughout the show. Who was the bronze medalist in that 800 meter race? So we mentioned Radisha, then it was Amos. Oh, fuck. It was, there was a young Kenyan guy who I can't think of his name now. Timothy Katoom. There you go. He's 24 years old. He's younger than me. And really, I, we, we haven't heard much about him since that race either, I guess. So hey, maybe he'll be the comeback runner of the year next year uh, on this podcast a year from now. There All right. Go. Moving on to the next one. Breakout runner of the year. Someone who had a really, someone who was probably really good the last couple of years, but really took it to the next level and elevated you know, their, their, their skill set, their talent, whatever you want to call it. I'll go first on this one. Because actually, I was kind of going to stick with another East African on this one. And I was originally going to go with, um, who was it? I was originally going to go with Timothy uh, Chariot, which would not have made any sense because he was the silver medalist in the 1500 meters. So I'm actually going to go with an American here. And I'm going to go with another friend of the pod. I'm going with Noah Lyles. And there were signs that this kid could be really good when he finished fourth at the 16 trials in the 200 meters. And then he won a diamond league in 2017. But then I think most of his season was scratched due to injury. Um, but it actually turned out to be pretty good timing in my opinion, because last year was Usain Bolt's year. It was his final year and it was all about him. Uh, and it would have been a real shame if some of these performances that, that Noah Lyles would have put together would have been overshadowed by the whole Bolt farewell. However, at the same time, I do think it would have been really cool to see the hype going into the World Championships in London where it was Noah Lyles versus Usain Bolt. And it probably would have been a very, very good chance that Noah Lyles could have beat Usain Bolt in that 200-meter final um, because that 200-meter final for Bolt was very watered down. I think just in general, his, his toughest challenge was in that 100 where he finished third and finished with the bronze medal. I don't think he ran the 200, right? I thought he only ran the 100. Yeah, that's right, actually. So he didn't even run it, and, and it was – yeah, he was so dodging Noah Lyles, obviously. Yeah, exactly. Which Noah Lyles was injured. So, you know, I think as Bolt exits stage right, Noah Lyles enters stage left. And I think it's been great. He came on this podcast in April. And when his management team offered me a chance to sit down with him, like I actually didn't think too much of it. And then all of a sudden, it was a great podcast. And all of a sudden, he just starts rattling off win after win after win. And I like saying that it was the luck of the pod, but no, it's actually the kid was the real deal. And I think what we lost with Usain Bolt in terms of just like expecting to see these crazy fast times, you know, every time that he stepped on the track, we're starting to get a little bit of that with Noah Lyles. And also we also get the, the pre-race and post-race antics that Usain Bolt was great for, whether it was standing at the starting line and doing a dance or doing something after the race, which in one of the big meat pods, which is the podcast that we do after every Diamond League meet uh, with Stephen Kirsch and Ryan Sterner, there was an instance where Noah Lyles did a backflip after his race. And that's, I think, the only part that I don't agree with him, you know, risking that injury. Don't do that ever again because it'd be so scary for him to just tear his ACL or, or twist an ankle or something like that. And then we lose 
no Lyles for a whole season. But I'm going with no Lyles as my breakout star. But I'm also going to give some props to Christian Coleman um, because he is not letting no Lyles get both events. He's not taking the 100 and the 200. And we saw that, I guess, in the very last uh, race of the year where Christian Coleman ran the world-leading time. But I think I'm feeling pretty good that the United States is going to head into Tokyo with probably the favorites in the 100, the 200, and I'm going to go as far as to say the 400 as well because I'm not as optimistic about how Wade Van Niekerk is going to come back from this torn ACL. I think I just saw an article today that said he's not expecting to race, I think, until early next summer. So it's been a really long recovery because he's been he got injured in October 2017, so it's more than a year now, and a torn ACL is no joke. When it happened, I actually texted Jeremy Warner and I said to him, I was like, hey, did you see this news? Like, as someone who had like knee problems in his in his career as well, I was just like wondering, it's like, how does a 400 meter runner come back from something like this? And, you know, all, all he said really to me was just like something like that, because it happened, the tourney sale happened during like a charity or like celebrity rugby match. And it was just like, that should have been in his Adidas contract because they would not have allowed him to do they wouldn't have allowed Jeremy Warner to do anything like that back in the day so I just remember him saying like not smart at all so uh hopefully you know those big three Christian Coleman I guess we'll get to Michael Norman in a bit uh and Noah Lyles those three I think are going to go into Tokyo as the favorites if all goes well now Wade Van Eker could make me into like an old takes exposed clip if all of a sudden he just comes back and pops another like 43. Well, yeah, I mean, you mentioned my breakout star already, and that's Michael Norman. Um, it's funny because him and Lyles were both sort of the high school stars of the 2012 trials who both made that 200-meter final, and we both saw them have their big breakouts this year. Um, for Norman, it was really cracking the 44-second barrier in the 400 when he ran that super fast 43-61 at NCAAs, and then we saw him double back um also some fast 200 times later in the season uh dipping under 199 twice in Europe including that race that matchup we all wanted to see in Lausanne when it was Lyles versus Norman um which Lyles came up on top in in the 200 which i would say is more of a specialty event but you know i remember when we were in Des Moines for USA's we kept trying to like build up the hype for this Norman Lyles rivalry and it seemed like neither of them were all that interested in you know we need guys to hate each other. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think, you know, the as you mentioned, the future of U.S. sprinting is bright with names like Coleman, Lyles, and Norman covering all three of the sprint events. And so Tokyo could be really exciting. We might not be able to replace a singular figure like Usain Bolt, but we have, as a unified force, those three guys who could really do something special. Absolutely. Agreed, 100%. Um, yeah, Des Moines was a lot of fun this summer, especially when <laughs> we were just like, all right, who's going to be the one who's going to fall on the bullet and try and create a viral moment here and ask these two guys who would win in a 300-meter race? And you were just like, I'll do it. <laughs> and so you just went and asked both of them. And obviously, they both took each other. But um, let's make that happen, I think. This upcoming indoor season, which I don't know. I, I haven't heard too much if Noah Lyles is going to run an indoor season or if Michael Norman's going to run an indoor season. But uh, it's a long year ahead next year, but definitely would love to see that 300 matchup right well, now. USA like indoors, I believe, because there's no world indoors, is running off events. So I think the 300 is one of them. So 
potentially there or, you know, maybe post Tokyo after they both win gold medals, they can do this. They can stage another, uh, like Michael Johnson, Ben, uh, and, uh, uh, uh Mitch, uh, well, God, I guess. <laughs> Uh, I know you're talking about the the the, the Donovan Bailey when they race the way in the Sky Dome, something like that. That'd be cool. Yeah. All right. Inspiration of the year. What? It, who or what inspired you this year, Kevin? So, as the Sacramento boy, I have to get in a CIM plug somehow. So, I'm gonna um, give my inspiration of the year award to Steph Bruce, who, you know, she's been slogging. Uh, away at the track and on the roads for so long, but finally, finally had a breakthrough season um, a little over two years after uh, giving birth to her second child. Um, we, over the summer, saw our USA's uh, kick down Emily Sisson for third place in the uh, the 10K at, at USA's. Um, that was a huge moment. We talked to her afterwards um, and she really felt like something special was coming. She then goes on to win her first US title uh, at Peachtree. Uh, in that 10k and then a crazy fall of marathoning um you know she was 11th in new york in about 231 she probably wasn't as happy with that as um she would have liked and you know we're seeing this whole like doubling back in marathons a little more frequently in the last couple of years sarah hall doing it well a month after new york steph bruce doubles back at cim runs a pr of 229 20 um, gets on the podium there of the U.S. champs. I mean, I think it was a huge year for Steph Bruce. Um, you know, it's always cool to see a veteran who, you know, was always sort of there but never reaching those kind of podium levels of these major races really break through. Um, that was really cool to see, and I think um, she'll get my Inspiration of the Year award. And it's happening at a very good time. I mean, if this is all good things – happening in the lead up to the 2020 marathon trials, then she should be in the conversation for one of those Olympic team spots. Uh, so yeah, no, great, great stuff from uh, Steph. And if you want, you can also check out her grit series on uh, YouTube that our own Stephen Kirsch helped her uh, put together. So check that out. I'm sure if you just search Steph Bruce uh, grit on YouTube, it'll come up. I'm going to go in a different direction. And I'm going to give my inspiration of the year to Justin Gallegos, who is a runner at Oregon with cerebral palsy. And there was an incredible video that came out in October. I think it might have been just after like National Cerebral Palsy like Awareness Day or something like that. Um, but I saw the clip. I passed it along to the Sports Illustrated social media team. And then from there, we got permission to share it. And it just exploded and went viral. I think on Twitter where it was posted, it has more like nearly 6 million views. And then from there on Facebook, it's just, you know, even more from that. I think it was like, I don't know, 30, 40 million. It's, it's huge. And in the clip, uh, what you see is he was being surprised after a cross-country practice or a race. And Nike, a representative from Nike, John Truex, was there and offered him a professional contract. And... It was actually pretty incredible to watch. It's very emotional. A lot of the, you know, Nike professional athletes, of course, went on to retweet it and add, you know, their own message to it. Um, but I think Justin's story is one that's really inspirational and has been a, you know, kind of I think a little bit more mainstream within the past two years because I think after the breaking two attempt with Elliot Kipchoge, they 
he he wanted to have his own kind of breaking two moment and attempted to run a half marathon, which for someone who has cerebral palsy just sounds absolutely crazy. But he did it, and he ran two oh three or something like that. So he didn't quite under get get under, you know, two uh, two hours, but still just kind of showed that you know there are really no limits to what someone can do once you put like a lot of work and your mind to it. And so I thought that clip was really inspiring and he's someone that Nike is probably going to do a lot with over the next uh, couple years. And I think he's already designed one of their shoes that helps people with disabilities, put it on. He was actually in a clip that I saw recently with uh, Chris Bennett, who does uh, a lot of the Nike coaching stuff. And he was kind of sharing his story on there. So it's a really great story that's kind of gone mainstream, I think, in the past couple months. And, you know, hopefully we hear and see more of Justin. And, you know, another little plug here. I wrote something short about him for the uh, Sports Illustrated Sports Person of the Year issue on page 93, I believe. So if you're still remember the exact page number or anything. Not that I remember the exact page number, but if you're at an airport and you see the mag the Sports Illustrated magazine with the Golden State Warriors on the cover and you turn to page 93 and you look over to the side, you might see a familiar name and you might see a little article on Justin. So I'm going with him for my inspiration of the year. What'd you think of the clip? It was awesome. Yeah, it's it was one of the positive things that social media can do is help amplify stories like these. You know, there's so much bad stuff you see on Twitter and everywhere else, but um, the ability to sort of uh, pump up stories like this and get them the attention they deserve is uh, a really cool thing. All right. Strangest thing of the year. Now for this one, you could go in so many different directions. Um, I'm actually going to go with an actual race. And I'm going to go with Boston, the Boston Marathon, because it was just wild. Any sort of pre-race narrative you had or any sort of just plan you had for that day, just throw it out the window. It's a day that I'll never forget. I wasn't even running in the race, but it's just it's the way it panned out. Des Linden winning, Yuki Kawuchi winning. No one could have scripted this, this moment. And the great part about it was that I can look back at the preview that I wrote for SI and it says in there that I thought Des Linden had like the smallest chance of all the American women to win this race. And she just goes out there and totally proves me wrong. If you watch the actual race, Larry Rossin, I think a mile into the race or two miles, whenever it was, starts saying how like Yuki Kawuchi is just running this thing really dumb. And he's just waiting for someone to, someone's going to drop a piano on his back. And then later on, another, another Larry, bad Larry Rossin analogy. I must have been. You go to your high school track and you drop a piano. What happens? <laughs> exactly. So he like, there's. A, I, I might actually just cut it up and post it on Twitter about how this might have been like one of the funnier moments of the year. Is that you have Larry Rossin's call very early on in the race, and then just later on has to call Yuki Kauchi finishing and winning the, the the race because no one could have predicted this entire thing. It was the strangest day, and. I think for me personally, and I can't speak for everyone who was in the media room in 2014 when Meb won, but I had chills watching that moment. And I thought that that was never going to get topped. Then this year happens and it was just super cool to watch. And, you know, I feel really honored to have been like one of the people there to, to write about this race because there was just so much going on. And 
there's never going to be another race like it. And also, you know, just hearing other people talk about it too, it, like people who weren't in the elite race talk about running Boston this year, whether they dropped out or whatever. It's like hearing war stories, and it's 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 been awesome. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I'm just using the, the typical cliche words to describe that race, but it was just that's that's what it was. And now that it's getting a little bit colder out here in New York, or and recently it's it rained a bit. It's Boston has really changed the bar for how you can dress outside for for a run. Like I I feel like I can wear shorts with like thirty five degree weather, and I can you know wear just a really light jacket when I when it's just pouring outside. That's what Boston has done. So that's going that's going to be my strange thing of the year. Yeah, you're absolutely right about the war stories. I mean, I was just at a, a the Sacramento Running Association holiday party a couple weeks ago, and you know these masters guys who ran Boston were still telling like war stories of of going through this and how for the rest of their lives they can say they ran that Boston. Um, you know, I think it, it's something that yeah they're never going to forget, and I think that's partly what makes the race memorable and and strange. But I'll have more Boston takes a little bit later. Yeah, and shameless plug, if you want to hear some more stories, Runners of NYC, the podcast that we have on the Sidious Mag Podcast Network, we've got two episodes with two people who ran Boston in 2018. Uh, I believe it's episode three with David Perry, a former standout at the University of Portland who now does some really cool stuff with Adidas Runners in New York, and Caitlin Phillips, who was actually in the women's elite field in Boston. She has like her own, a really unique perspective she ended up dropping out of the race but was kind of like also in that what the heck is going on mode when she saw like shalane flanagan and desi linden next to him so check that out renters of nyc available on apple Podcasts, spotify soundcloud wherever you get your podcast fix all right kevin your surprise uh strangest thing of the year so i'm gonna have to go into the strangest probably doping situation of the year which was the uh, famed 1500 meter runner asbel kiprop so Y'all don't remember. Um, he tested positive uh, in a drug test that was taken back last November um, of 2017. They found EPO in his system. Um, the Kenyan doping agency claimed that Kiprop was tipped off about the test by a doping control officer who he knew. Um, and then Kiprop claims that his sample was quote unquote turned positive because there was these doping officials who were trying to blackmail them and get them to uh, send them a, a wire transfer, them money in exchange for not having a positive test. And so this entire situation goes on this, you know, much of the year until at a certain point late in the year, Kiprop claims he simply just doesn't have enough money to fight this fight and has kind of given up. And so now the question is, you know, what happens, one, to all his accolades, his awards, his medals, but also what happens to his legacy, especially in the light of this other very strange situation that happened with Kiprop, where he posted on social media him kissing this woman who turned out to be married to one of his training partners. And um, 
it gets really weird. I really don't need want to go into all of it. Yeah, someone but, take um, Asbel Kiprop's phone away from him. That's the solution yeah, to the entire thing. Off Twitter, uh, him and Donald Trump need to both <laughs> stop tweeting, please. Um, but if you go on these Kenyan uh, sports websites, it goes into all of this. Um, a very, very, very strange situation. I kind of like those Kenyan news websites because half the time, there's a, well, there's a it's great because we can get news about what's going on with their top Kenyan stars. Not all the time are they 100% factual or correct, but at the same time, they're not afraid to report on all the gossip. Like the Asbel Kiprop, you know, sleeping with his training partner's wife or girlfriend, whatever it was, that was like, you know, news for them. Then they've also got like, recently I, I read a nice little Q&A with Timothy Chariot, and they asked him about like his first kiss and whether he's ever found love. That might be... The, one of the new questions I ask in 2019 to all my podcast guests at the very end is going to be, have you ever been in love? And I think I'd love to hear like what the answers are uh, to that question. But no, yeah, absolutely. As Bill Kiprop also did like TV interviews uh, about like saying how he's totally innocent. And the whole entire time, I'm just kind of wondering like what that would be like in a different sport because the suspension hasn't been announced. Like we don't know if Asbel Kiprop is going to be suspended for the next two years or four years or eight years or whatever it is. But, you know, I it just think about like Barry Bonds testing positive and then going on like 60 minutes like the next week to just continue to say that he's innocent. Like these are, I always think about Rafael Palmero when he had to testify in front of Congress and say, like, I have never used steroids, period, or whatever it was. And now you you just have that clip forever of him denying that he ever took steroids when he actually, you know, did. So it's like, you, Asbel Kiprop is just going to look so foolish if, he, if it gets proven that, you know, he intentionally took EPO. So I would love to hear, and you know what, we might, we might have to do it, is just record like a Asbel Kiprop, like serial type of podcast series, I would. It, it would be great to listen to. Or just to um, recap the entire situation. Just to recap, was, I mean, an, a, a, an attempted a suicide attempt by the woman that he claims he, you know, had an affair with. So it gets wild. I think the, the closest thing that it reminds me of, and it also happened to be Kenyon, was the Sammy Wanjiru when he passed away. And that had a really unfortunate, yeah. Like yeah. Really unfortunate so different circumstances, but also very strange in the aftermath of trying to figure out exactly what happened. He supposedly jumped off the balcony of his house. And so, um, you know, I think like you mentioned, we are relying on these kind of iffy news reports and also Google Translate, which sometimes, you know, things aren't being uh, interpreted the right way. So uh, I think hopefully more to come in terms of what actually happened here. Yeah. And hopefully not a like terrible ending because, you know, when Asbel Kiprop was racing and I guess like if we presumed he was clean during some of those incredible performances, he was a thing of beauty to watch, like a, just his form and just how flawless he made some of these performances look. So, you know, hopefully all the best for him in 2019, but I want the resolution to this, this case to come pretty soon. Yeah, for sure. All right. We're going to go into finish of the year, which is, I guess like not a great thing to discuss on a podcast where it's audio, but maybe we can include the the clips in the show notes. Um, I was 
I'm kind of like torn here because like it, there's just so many different things that you can go with. Um, the girls foot locker cross country race where I believe uh, Sydney Massarelli was the one who won. Um, it was just an incredible race. I didn't, it, the, the beauty about a race like that is not knowing too much about the competitors and also they're not being like a one a-list you know athlete who is just head and shoulders above everyone else like if caitlin tui would have ran footlocker then we probably would have just expected her to win the entire thing and what happens in a race like that is the broadcast just becomes a live stream of that one person running now in this this is like as high school racing as high school as high school racing gets where you just had very evenly matched people and in the last mile of the race, you just have like six lead changes or whatever it was between these two girls. And I believe it was Sydney Massarelli was the one who won and had like that final burst of energy to win it all. So I'm going to go with that uh, as my finish of the year. Although I will say I was there for Fifth Avenue Mile this year. Jenny Simpson versus Colleen Quigley was very, very close. Um, I also really enjoy the USA's 1500 meter final because that was Jenny versus Shelby and kind of like the entire race, you're just sitting there waiting and being like, when is the kick happening? And like, who's going to kick first? And it just ended up being Shelby Houlihan had incredible speed with 200 meters to go, 150 to go, whenever it really was that she gapped, uh, Jenny Simpson by a little bit. And that's when, you know, we started to, to, we, I think in our post race podcast that we did live from Des Moines, we started to toy around with the questions like, is Shelby like in Jenny's head now? And of course it's like, I don't think that's the case uh, because Jenny is just that great of an athlete on her own. Um, so I'm excited to see those two continue to duke it out between now and the 2020 trials and then possibly in a final in Tokyo. Um, another, I guess, like one more, uh, two more, I guess, I've got kind of like on my list of like crazy finishes from this year. Uh, Sir Walter Myler, shout out to Pat Price, who is the Sidious Mag ombudsman and keeps us in check in our Slack channel. Uh, he, they do a great job of assembling a very deep Myler field and Anytime you have a race where with 400 meters to go, it's anyone's game. I remember, I think you and I were standing next to each other in Raleigh and we were saying, okay, who you got with that final lap? And it was just like, oh, you know, I got Sean McGordy because like he's looking pretty good there and someone else would be, and then you would pick someone else. And we were both wrong. And it was like Lopez Lamont ends up winning a mile race uh, in like 353 or whatever it was. And then last but not least, because I am here in New York and it was something that, it, that happened fairly recent, recently. So there was a little bit of recency bias. New York City Marathon men's race, Lalisa DeCisa going into the park and having another duel where two years before or three years before when I had uh, the same exact situation against Wilson Kipsang, that was an incredible finish two years ago, but a different ending this time around. Wilson Kipsang ends up, I mean, uh, Lalisa DeCisa ends up finally getting the New York City Marathon title after a couple of different podium finishes. Um, so I'm going to go with the girls cross country race, but all those races, crazy finishes. Yeah. I got a couple just honorable mentions as well. I mean, you mentioned Shelby, the one race, it seemed like the entire year she didn't win was that uh, Brussels diamond league 1500 when, you know, Laura Mir sort of who has the reputation of being the front runner 
gaps the field by a little bit and it's Shelby leading the chase pack of trying to get her and that final hundred Laura Mir just had a little bit left and handed Shelby one of the might've been only losses of the entire outdoor season to, to win that diamond league title and $50,000. Another one that was really cool to watch where we were standing pretty much next to each other was at the CIM finish line when you had upwards of 98 women hit the Olympic trials marathon standard. I mean, it was just incredible seeing the scores of women flood in, you know, in 243 and 244 for the marathon and to just get under those trial standards, a lot of these people who are just weekend warriors who, you know, are training after work and before work. And I think you want to give a shout out to someone in particular. Yeah, my teammate and training partner, Leanne Sherrick, episode two of Runners of NYC. Uh, so I actually was out there, uh, like you said, we were standing right next to each other. And I was kind of there in more of a cheerleader role and, you know, in a support role for my friend Leanne. And, you know, I think I did abuse my media credential a bit that you had to, you pushed me out of the way because I was just jumping up and down as I saw her like turn the final corner and it was like 2.42 on the clock and we were just both getting really excited. And I just started jumping up and down, waving her in to the finish line, gave her the hug as soon as she crossed. And so uh, that's definitely a moment I will never forget. Uh, And yeah, an incredible finish when you just, Leanne and I just stood there watching to see like how the, the minute between 2.44 and 2.45 is just insane because mm-hmm. you know that once that clock hits 2.45.01, someone's going to be rounding that corner and their heart is going to be just torn yeah. apart. And so just, just oh, so emotional. But yeah, definitely. Great great job mentioning that one. Yeah, and you, I think you violated the no cheering in the press box, Chavez, but... I had to. Maybe <laughs> next year my credential to CIM is going to get totally revoked. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll see about that. Um, but my actual finish of the year um, has to go to Kendall Ellis, the USC 400 runner who, um, I mean, just to set up this 4x4 NCAAs, you know, USC had to win to win the team championship. They had to come in first in the 4x4. And she gets the baton way back in fourth place. I mean, she wasn't even in the shot with 150 to go. Purdue's up there in the lead, and you think, man, you know, SC has had a great year. They finally won the Pac-12 title against SC uh, Oregon, who had, you know, won something like eight years in a row. Hey, you know, they might have to settle for second place. That's still a good year. But Ellis had something extra. I mean, it was one of those things. We see it at once maybe every couple of years of these crazy, crazy finishes. Well, that's what happened, and it was at the highest stakes at the NCAA Finals. Um, Kendall Ellis pulls it off for the Trojans to win, and it was another moment where that kind of went viral amongst sports social media. You even had Kobe Bryant uh, commenting on it with a simple message of willpower. Um, it was just a really cool race, um, someone really coming through when all was on the line. and. Uh, if you haven't seen it, first of all, what the hell you've been doing? Um, <laughs> definitely go and on YouTube right now and Google Kendall Ellis. Um, It'll be the top results. Yeah, yeah, it's the top thing on there. Um, I think it's going to be one of the moments that we remember 2018 by. Yeah, and the the cool part about that race is that, and you mentioned kind of like just what it took, it would, like how important that was for the team title race, and just reminds me of like you know how you read stories about you know car accidents happening sometimes and somehow and like there's a child involved but there's a parent who all of a sudden was able to like lift up the car and save their child 
Like, I feel like that's the type of superhuman strength that Kendall Ellis just like possessed in that mm-hmm. final, uh, in that final 200 to win the whole team title for, uh, for the Trojans. So yeah, no, that was a heck of a race. I'm trying to remember. Yeah. It went viral a hundred percent. Um, it, there was even like some sort of like debate on Twitter because it, it, when I think people were trying to say Georgia might have been like the team that was leading, whether uh, I think it was Purdue, oh Purdue, whether Purdue yeah. blew the race, and or it, it was, it's a, such a stupid and dumb debate of it's like a first take kind of yeah. argument. Yeah, they did, did USC win it or did Purdue lose it? Yeah, exactly. Max like, so dumb that that's I totally can see Max Kellerman and Stephen A. Smith yelling about that, but. Um, yeah, no, I, I choose to remember it for the Kendall Ellis kick. Definitely. All right. Next up is going to be the performance of the year. So, uh, you go first on this one. So I tend to think of this as like what I remember the year by when I think about 2014, I think about Meb at Boston. Um, when I think of 2012, I think of um David Radisha at the Olympics breaking the world record. Um when I look back at 2018, it's going to be Desi Linden winning Boston with all the caveats you mentioned earlier about how crazy Boston was. But I mean for Desi herself, like you mentioned, she was you know coming in as maybe the fourth favorite American behind Shalane, Molly Huddle and Jordan Assay and you know, even within the race was gonna thinking about dropping out at one point turns over to Shalane and say, says, Hey, if you need me to block the wind, um, I'll do it. I'm not feeling so good. So I'm going to drop out at some point. And then some kind of switch flipped and, you know, the weather was crazy. People obviously didn't run to their highest potential and for her to go out there and win the thing, um, despite everything, it was really a true Desi Linden performance. When you think of, you know, put all the cliches out there, the grittiness, the blue collar runner, all that stuff. It was really exemplified by winning this race in the manner that she did. A hundred percent. And I mean, uh, it's going to be totally unforgettable. And I think also performance of the year. I mean, we'll get to the guy um, who I think we're both, both waiting to talk about him and people are probably listening to this. Like, how was that? Not the performance of the year. Uh, we're we're going to get to it. You, we know what you're thinking right now. I'm going to go onto the track for my performance of the year. And I'm going to go with, just for diversity's sake here, I guess, to Salomon Borrega running 243 at the Brussels Diamond League 5K. And I just want to remind everyone that this kid was born in 2000. And he's running times that are up there with Kenanisa Bekele. So if you look at the all-time list now, it is the sixth fastest of all time, and he's only behind Kenanisa Bekele, Haile Gebrselassie, and Daniel Komen on the all-time list. And I actually just never thought it would something like that would happen this soon, like that people would be coming this close to Bekele's times just yet. However, like I also didn't think that Ashton Eaton's world record would have been broken like this soon. So performance of the year, I'm going with, Salomon Borrega's insane 12:43 because as you're watching that race you're just it's you know most races sometimes start off with like a you know a fast lap or two or three and you're just like oh yeah you know they're gonna settle into a good pace at some point and like it'll be one in like 
1305 or 1310 or whatever it is, low 13. This race, you're you're just watching it, and this these fast laps just continue to click off, and you, then you're wondering, it's like, when is this kid gonna blow up? And he's not alone in the entire thing. There's other guys going with him. So it just happened that the stars aligned for more than one person in this race. Paul Chalimo was one of those people as well because he ran twelve fifty seven, and but if you look at the results, that's still like almost a hundred meters behind Barrega, which is unreal. So I'm going to go with Selimon Barrega as my performance of the year. I will give a shout out to Kevin uh, Kevin Mayer because I guess it is if you're the decath- decathlon world record holder, you can get it done over ten events, and so. You broke an Ashton world record. Ashton, who is probably one of the greatest athletes of all time. And also Kevin Mayer is also funny on Twitter because he trolls President Trump pretty often. I don't know if you've seen that, Kevin, but... I I have not. Uh, I need to check this out. Does he do it in English or French? I think it's all French stuff. uh, But, I mean, it is kind of a joke. So, um, Selman Borrega has not run a a, a 10K yet on the track. So I'm kind of hoping that happens in 2019. Yeah. Another thing, too, I guess, is that I would have gone with the women's steeplechase world record, but I've got my own doubts about that. And I'm actually one of those people who doesn't isn't like too skeptical about things. Like I, I kind of wait for, you know, to hear about a positive test or something before I am like, oh, well, you know, that person's just dirty or they're a cheater. Because then you, you can't enjoy – I've said this multiple times before. You can't really enjoy the sport if you're just putting on the suspicious hat every single time someone runs fast. But how – so, like, I'm not entirely sold on that women's steeplechase world record because of just, like, these chunks of times that are coming off of it. I will give major props to Courtney Frerichs and Emma Coburn for continuing to elevate the state of U.S. women's steeplechase and I love kind of like the rivalry that's developing out of that, where it's not really, you know, they're, they're, they're hogging it out after these races, but you know that these two are just going to continue duking it out between now and the trials. And it was before, I will give you credit, before the race in Des Moines. I think that was one of the things we were heading to the track, and, and you said something to me like, I think this might be the year that Courtney closes the gap on on Emma, and then it actually did end up happening at that race. And we got her a nice little Olive Garden sponsorship out of the whole deal. Yeah, I think she has a all, like a lifetime free card now. Uh, I don't think it's a lifetime free card. I think it's like a card where if you go, then like you get like a never-ending pasta bowl. Oh, okay. Well, that's but it. But they must have comped it or whatever. So, yeah, I don't know the logistics. It, just, it looks to us like she's got an Olive Garden deal. And it's our doing because I guess you can tell the story better. Uh, so I think when uh, it was at USA's and she's telling the story about she got uh, in the town late and the only place that was open for dinner was the Olive Garden. So no, that wasn't the case. It it, it oh. wasn't open. Oh, what that's right. It wasn't even open. Her husband yeah. had saved while it was open had saved some for her to, to eat when she got there. And then so we, of course, tweeted that clip and said, hey, Olive Garden, can we hook it up with some sponsorship? Well, lo and behold, like a night or two later, she's at the West Des Moines Olive Garden uh, with a free meal uh, for her and her family the, the night before the race. And then she goes on to make the world team. I mean, I'm sorry, to finish second. 
at, at USA's and then uh, later that summer run uh, the American record. So I think it's worked out. It definitely has. Courtney Frerichs was on the podcast July 26th after setting the American record. So go back and check out that episode. It's actually one of the most listened to episodes of the year. Um, I think her and Shelby are like one, two, or like two and one. Shelby Houlihan, most listened to episode of the year. Um, other performances to note, I guess. I liked virtual unknown Abraham Kiptum setting a world record in the half marathon, 58-18, because it's always fun for me to tell people that, yeah, you know, the world record for the half marathon is 58 minutes, so that's a little faster than someone running 13 miles an hour, so just, like, don't get in that person's way. Um, and then the other person I would give a shout-out to would be um, Juan Miguel Echevarria jumping 8.68 meters, which is crazy and it's an insane highlight uh, highlight clip that sports fans of like all different sports can enjoy and whenever you see someone jump that far you've got basketball people chiming in being like oh my god like imagine if that was like from the three-point line to like just the inbounding line um that's the cuban guy right it is yeah so you know what's crazy is i I, so i was just on vacation in cuba and i went to um, a baseball game of the havana club team and I was hanging out with these guys who are like huge baseball fans and they're apparently huge fans of like every sport. Cause uh, they were mentioning uh, this guy as well. And uh, in addition to, you know, all the famous uh, Cuban track and field athletes years past. So it was, it was pretty cool. So before we get into the most entertaining runner of the year, actually, before we get into the, the male and female athlete of the year, we're going to go with the most entertaining runner. So for this one, uh, I'll go first. And I'm going to go with Jacob Ingebrigtsen um, because I think with him this year, you just never knew what he was going to do in the race. And he got started by scalping some big names at Peyton Jordan. At the time, you, you kind of can watch that race and shrug it off like, oh, you know, it's really early on in the season and I don't really know like how much weight Paul Chilimo and Matt Centrowitz were putting into that race. But then you know, he just keeps it up throughout the uh, outdoor season, runs a crazy fast mile at the pre-classic, goes on to win two gold medals at the European Championships. Um, and he ended up finishing the year with the fourth fastest time in the world for the 1,500 meters. I think it was like 331, like low. And he was just a second off of his brother, so what that means is that we, we finished 2018 with two guys from Norway in the top five for the 1,500 meters. That's so odd to me. Um, so I guess like I will go with Jacob Ingebrigtsen as my most entertaining runner of the year. And actually David Melly, staff writer for Sidious Mag and also the host of the Run Your Mouth podcast, he put together a nice case for um, Jacob Ingebrigtsen for his Sidious Mag Male Athlete of the Year. So you can check that out at SidiousMag.com. But actually, I want to do a little quick aside off of that and stick on like the 1500 for a bit because I want to talk about a little bit about the state of U.S. 1500 meter men's running. I think right now because on the female side you've got you know Jenny and Shelby, and then that third spot is always going to be a question mark. Before it was like Jenny and Shannon in the big spot. Well, Shannon and Shannon just uh, had her first race back on Thanksgiving, so potentially could see her back in the mix as well. Yeah, so that's someone exciting to watch. But on the men's side, 
The top American this year was Matt Centuritz, who ran 331.77 in Monaco. And, you know, that's that's pretty good. It's just off of his PR, which is, I think, 329. Um, he's gone under 330. And so Matt Centuritz finishes the year. He's ninth in the world. After that, there's a little bit of a drop-off, and it's Drew Hunter at number 38, where he ran 335.90. And then after that, it's Robbie Andrews at number 41, 336.05. I bet you can't name who number four and five are. Man. Um, Four and five. Um, Ben Ben Blankenship? Not this year. Trying to think of who else. I guess Robbie Andrews didn't really run much this year. No, Robbie uh, was third. And he oh, he was. 336. Okay. But it's 4-5. Uh, I have no idea. Yeah, so it's Robert Domanic and Eric Avila Jeez. rounding out the top five. So not your usual suspects from the top of like the U.S. 1,500-meter scene. But if you think about it, I could see the three that were up there this year for the United States, Centrowitz, Drew Hunter, and Robbie Andrews. I could see that being the U.S. Olympic team in 2020. But then at the same time, like for next year, I'm very curious to see how, you know, Domanic and Eric Avila hold up, how we get back people from injuries. And then, you know, that includes seeing guys like Ben Blankenship and Craig Engels and Johnny Gregoric, guys who are usually up at the top of the list, how they get back into the mix. So... The U.S. men's 1,500-meter scene is something that I'm kind of looking forward to next year, um, and I just kind of got on that tangent because Jacob Bingerbritson was my 1,500-meter runner, uh, enter- most entertaining runner of the year. So, yeah, I mean, we're seeing similar things, too, with the U.S. men's marathon and how there's just a huge drop-off after Galen Rupp. I, um, I think sometime this summer just randomly looked up, you know, the IAAF has their new rankings – they have these, you know, formulas and they make a point system. And, but after Galen Rupp, the highest ranked American active American men's marathoner was ranked like 360th in the world. So you had Rupp in the top like 20 and then you had the drop off was quite steep. And so, um, we shall <laughs> see if anyone kind of fills that void. Yeah. And you can go back and listen to the Scott Fobble episode, which was the one I believe right before this. Uh, for some pretty good insight, I guess, into his thoughts on to the, on the U.S. marathoning scene and the state of that heading into 2020. Um, I know it was a big subject of conversation, so uh, you can check that out, previous episode. Uh, who was your most enter- entertaining runner of the year? So at first, I thought entertaining was like in a joking way, like, hey, what was entertaining? What was funny? What made you laugh out loud? So I was going to say the um, NBC News intern who during the uh, – when the verdict came out of the Paul Manafort uh, court case, sprinted out of the courtroom and uh, in order to hand the verdict to uh, her colleagues at NBC News. This is kind of a longstanding tradition with Supreme Supreme Court cases where, you know, they're very far, um, you know, they're not very up on their technology amongst the Supreme Court of people in their 70s. So um, they hand out these like verdicts by paper. And so these interns have to sprint out of the courtroom and then hand it to the news producer in order for them to announce it on air. Um, so her name was uh, Cassie Semyon, and she was a senior at Temple. Um, I think she's since graduated, but um, she did cite her high school cross-country days as being helpful to her um, 
ability to sprint out of the courtroom first and, and get the news to her bosses. Um, and it did get kind of a, a, a viral um, thing on social media for a couple of days. And she was on like the front page of these newspapers, which was kind of funny. But once I realized we were actually talking about entertaining and a more serious notion, um, I'm going to go with Shelby Houlihan and just, the way that she runs is entertaining and, and fun to watch and, and enjoyable. Um, I mean, we just saw this year just how good her kick has become. Um, you know, I, I think it's something that she's probably had that pure speed in the past, but it's been her getting the aerobic strength to be able to unleash that over the course of the last hundred meters of a race was super impressive. Um, you know, unfortunately this wasn't a championship year, um, so that, you know, her at her peak fitness this year wasn't able to translate that into a medal, but, um, you know, we can hope that in future years, she will not only have this kind of fitness, but improve upon it and be in the mix, um, for, for many championships to come, you know, she's, I think in her mid twenties. So I think she has, um, many years to go. And then, you know, when the time comes, she obviously has a ton of talent in the 5k too. We saw her break the American record this summer. So. Um, bright things to come for Shelby Houlihan. Yeah, and one last thing on Shelby is that one of our writers is, you know, working on the case for Shelby Houlihan for female Sidious Mag's female athlete of the year. And the way that they made the pitch to me was just kind of like, oh, you know, Shelby is now a person that you're really tuning in for. Like mm -hmm. you want to see her race because you it, there's it, there's many different ways that it can end, and she's not just being pigeonholed into being like she's just an 800 meter runner, she's just a 1500 meter runner, she's just a 5k runner. She can do it all, and I think they just compared it. it's like you you know how you want to see Giannis play with the Bucks, you want to see you know all these players in the NBA who are just unicorns and aren't just one thing. They can do all these various different things. Shelby Houlihan is a unicorn. In track and field yeah and you know for uh, for me as a giants fan it was always like when barry bonds was up at bat you had to you had to watch you had to turn it on um when steph curry's going on a heat check you gotta go turn it on and for track i think the closest thing that it reminded me of was the summer of 2012 when chris Zelinsky was going on his crazy run of like mixing it up with bekele and all those um the, the east africans in the 5k every race that he was in over the course of that um, that summer was must watch, and I felt the same way about Shelby this summer. All right, it's the time that people have been waiting for. They're waiting for us to pick our female and male runner of the year. So uh, let's start with you, female runner of the year. So this is uh, I'm going to be writing something that's coming out as part of this series that we're rolling out, but. Um, my female runner of the year is Shawnee Miller Weibo. Um, she was unbeaten this year at both 200 and 400. Um, you know, in the 200, winning the Diamond League title, winning the Commonwealth Games title, in the 400, running that crazy fast uh, 48.97 at Monaco is the first time in nine seasons someone had broke 49 in the 400. Um, to me, it was like pure dominance in two events and, um, you know, not particularly surprising given what she did last year, but, um, to run a time that fast, um, in Monaco, you know, put her in elite company. She is now one of only five women in history who have run sub 22 and sub 49. 
Um, and so those are, it, it really put her in elite territory and fun fact at the Bahamas championships this year, this is according to her IAA profile. I don't know if it's real or not, but it says she won the high jump and the shot put. <laughs> I don't know if the shot put one is correct. <laughs> it says she jumped five, seven in the high jump and threw 37, eight in the shot put. And it yeah. says that both of those were first place finishes. So um i couldn't find any like other results the bahamas athletic sites was cut you know not updated so i have to take that for the truth um and that's freaking insane so that's why she is athlete of the year um with that actually <laughs> that's hilarious that you found that so wait wh where where did that take place it was at the bahamas championships it was uh did her club need her to score points or something like that? And she's like, oh, yeah. I don't, yeah, it was I'll almost like shot, but... I remember, uh, you know, uh, you guys might remember uh, Vashti Thomas. She was like a, you know, all American hurdler at um, Texas AM. But I went to high school just down the road. She, they were like our rival school. And she used to just do the shot put at dual meets and win because she was more athletic than everyone else. And this kind of reminded me of that. Uh, it says June 22nd, 2018. Bahamas championships. So we'll have to look into that. Yeah. And I think uh, to your point, there were a lot of people who I think dominated over two events this year. Um, Dina Asher Smith, 100, 200. Then you got Katharina Bargwin, who won the IAAF uh, female athlete of the year with the high, uh, with the long jump and the triple jump. Um, so, I mean, like, yeah, and then I guess you would put Shawnee Miller in that class of just over two events. I'm going to go in a different direction. I'm gonna get. I'm. I'm gonna have a pick that might be a bit controversial, and I'm gonna go with Caster Semenya, because I don't think she got the credit that she deserved from. I guess like the IWF because you know there is. A, she was challenging the world's governing body in the sport on these new regulations that are trying to get athletes with higher levels of natural testosterone to take medication so they can lower those levels, and then that hopefully it will you know, resulted in a more even playing field than we've seen in recent years, especially in the 800 meters since I think it was like 2015. But I think what Cassius Semenya accomplished in 2018 was pure dominance. She went undefeated in eight finals. You know, she won at the African Championships where she also, you know, was able to display some of her 400 meter speed. She won at the Commonwealth Games in the 800 and the 1500. Throughout several of these Diamond League 800s where she was just running away with it if she, if she was unbeaten but at the same time she would dip over and she would go up in distance and try and run 1500s and also you know stick in there with you know the likes of a shelby holohan or a laura muir i think we she ran it at the world championships the previous year so you know i think it, part of me thinks it was a little bit of a major oversight on the IWF's part not to even like put her on the list of one of the five finalists for the IAAF female athlete of the year title. You know, there's, there was a lot of worthy candidates for it. I'm going with Caster. And, you know, it's also because, you know, she, you mentioned how some of these athletes are must watch. Caster is one of those athletes because I don't think there's a single 800 meter race that she, that we, that a spectator can go into and not think that this could be the time that she breaks the world record. Every single time she races the 800, in those final 200 meters or so, you think she has that extra gear left 
but it's just you know always a second or two slower than you know the world record and she's been chipping away there she looks like she's totally ready to run that time but who knows what's going to happen with these IAAF regu- regulations but Caster's been a special talent to watch since 2015 and I think I would recognize her with the female runner of the year title. Yeah, she's in a very strange position where everything she does is like is controversial and it's not her fault at all and it's really hard to like have a, a real opinion about what she does given the state she's in. I mean, it's almost similar to like one of the athletes who, you know, people think is doping because they can do these great things yet people aren't celebrating in the way that um, you normally would when people put up really awesome performances I mean but in this case it's at to no fault of her own and so it is really put the sport in a tough position to you know make judgment or to celebrate anything she's done given this really you know complicated situation yeah super complicated and I think she handles every single one of these interviews that she does and, and it, with just pure class. And I yeah. remember it was a thing at the 2016 Olympics after the 800 meter final, she wins gold. And I remember being in the press conference thinking like, where is this going to go? And mm-hmm. you know, the race is one thing, but this press conference and what people are going to grill her and you know, the other two medalists who, you know, might have higher levels of uh, natural testosterone, uh, like where this questioning was going to go and how messy it, it, it could get really quick. But instead, Caster's like, let's, we're only going to talk about what happened on the track. And, you know, there will be another time to have, you know, those longer conversations. So I'm going with Caster. And, you know, it's not, maybe not everyone's favorite pick, but it's my pick. All right. The most obvious pick. And the pick that we've been waiting to get to, and it's taken forever to get this long on into the podcast, but you, you know you're waiting for it. Elliot Kipchoge, male runner of the year. Both of us have him, right? Yeah. I mean, there, there's really no question. I mean, not only is he dominating, but he has this kind of extra something about his personality, the way he talks. It's very philosophical it's just impossible not to love the guy. It's impossible not to be awed by his performances. He's just a special dude who, um, you know, I feel privileged to watch every time he laces up a marathon. A hundred percent. And yeah, I think I was going to make the same exact comment as you is that, you know, there's no better runner on this earth right now than Elliot Kipchoge. And we're, like you said, super lucky that we get to see him at his best and we're going to be able to tell future generations about it. And I, you know, I think it's going to be a while until we see someone as humble as him and as talented who can do this much. So, um, yeah, to break the world record runs. So pretty much if you don't know who Elliot Kipchoge is and you've gotten to this far, this far into the podcast, Kenyan marathoner ran two zero zero twenty five at the breaking two project last year, just won countless medals on the track is Olympic gold medalist. So this year, pretty much his year in a wrap, won the London Marathon in 204.17 after the race went out in 61. And it was a really, really hot day. Having been in that race, not that race, not, not the race at the top, at the front, but like I was in the pack with the masses, 
and just being able to know how hot it was on that day makes that performance so much more impressive to me because I can attest to what that heat did to like the average human being. I collapsed at 40K. And so it's like this this man is unreal. My friends who don't follow uh, track or marathons as closely went out there to, to cheer me on and they were just wowed by just how effortless he makes this look and how just fast these people are moving. I think that's one of the coolest parts of the marathon is bringing people who aren't as familiar with the sport to watch the elites pass by and just seeing how fast they can go. And I've had one of my college roommates, uh, very fortunate enough for him to have been at the Berlin Marathon and at the London Marathon that he is now like an Elliot Kipchoge fan. Um, so, I mean, for him, that's must that must be super special to watch, to, to have been able to see the world's best marathoner live and in person. And so that was in April. Then he goes on to run the Berlin Marathon in September, and he smashes the world record by 78 seconds. He runs 201.39. That was the biggest improvement in the event since 1967. And I think what, you know, we can all try and predict what's going to happen next year in the marathon. Like, we can try and say, oh, Eli Kipchoge is going to get even better, and he's going to run, you know, 201.20 or something like that. But I think what that proved to us is that you just have to, you know, throw any prediction out the window because, you know, we kind of, you can go into 2018 thinking Eli Kipchoge is going to break the world record and he's going to break Dennis Kometo's world record. It's it's about time that happens. But you just didn't predict how how much time he was able to take off. And so... I mean, there's, like I said, no one better on this earth right now. We're going to unveil the Sidious Mag Male and Female Athlete of the Year on December 31st. And I'm going to say it's going to be very, very hard to top Elliot Kipchoge. Yeah, I mean, you know, behind you, Chris, you know, people listening can't see this, but you have your Adam Schefter bookshelf behind you. And Elliot Kipchoge is going to be someone who is going to have books written about him. I mean, that's how special he is, you know. Very few athletes in track and field kind of rise to that level, but you know, I mean, for how eloquent the guy is, I want to see what his autobiography is going to be because that could be something really special. Oh, 100%. And the fact that he keeps every single one of his uh trading logs like in paper uh-huh. copies a million dollars. I think I even asked him that in a QA that I did with him for uh Sports Illustrator. I was like, how, like, how much for those training logs? And he was just like, nope, not for sale. Uh-huh. Um, Elliot Kipchoge, episode, he was, uh, we, we did a mini episode with him back in, uh, might have been like September or something like that. Um, I could look it up right now. Elliot Kipchoge mini episode was, yep, September 14th. You can go back and listen to that one. The audio quality isn't the best because we, were, we did it over the phone with him while he was in Kenya, but it's still fun. I kind of narrate some of it, and it's a little bit more of a story than an actual interview. The better podcast, if you are an Elliot Kipchoge super fan, is the one that we did with Klaus, who is his personal bottle handler from Berlin. That man brought the energy on race day. He was just fist bumping and riding his bike crazy fast. And he brought that same amount of energy to the podcast. One of my favorite episodes to tape of the year. Um, so I think that is all our awards. Kevin, we made it through 2018. We did. The world has not ended. No nuclear war. Uh, Wall Street has not uh, 
fallen down the cracks yet. But 2019 should be interesting. I mean, especially in the world of track and field. Just with Worlds being in Doha in freaking October, just how that's going to completely change the timeline of everything. Yeah, um, USA is better right now. Yeah, I mean, it's just going to be very different than we've ever seen. It's not going to be, you know, a regular Worlds in July or August. And so how that impacts everything else is going to be super intriguing to see. And it also, you know, shortens the timeline for people prepping, turning around and prepping for Tokyo in 2020. So we are um, – in full swing for the next Olympic cycle. That's for sure. Yeah. I think I might be running the Berlin marathon next year again, going back and doing it again, uh, which is going to be, it's a, it's I think the same time that the world championships start to get underway. So I'm debating whether or not to do already halfway there, man, the Berlin to uh, Doha double or go Berlin and then just go on vacation. That sounds so much better, but we'll see. Um, I'm trying to think if we missed anything, you know, what really gets me is when I look at some of these, uh, end of year, you know, world leader lists and there are events that aren't run as often. So I'm going to give a quick shout out to the New Jersey, New York track club for finishing the year as the world leaders in the four by 800. Now, I feel like if you were to hold bar trivia, uh, with that was track and field themed, and you could put this like in like the most track and field bar ever. Like it could be the one so we're talking about the Wild Duck or uh, Coogan's. Coogan's. Those yeah, the, it's the one of those two, two track bars. The only two track bars. You could put it in either one of those bars, and no one. You could put a million dollars on the line. No one except the four guys who were on that relay would be able to name who the four guys are. So for a million dollars, who were the four guys on that? Four by eight, that it ends the year as the world leaders. Uh, I said it before the podcast, and you've already forgotten. <laughs> yeah, I remember Jesse Garn and um, your boy. Uh, God, I can't even remember anymore. It was Jesse Garn, Joe McCasey, Ford Palmer, and Chris Geeson. Congratulations yeah. to those guys. Put that on your resume. Finish the year as the four by eight world leaders and i guess like i'm trying to even think like you know it's uh, some of the other things indoors yeah no outdoors florida relays but then they also have a world record during indoors new jersey new york so it's been the year of the four by eight for new jersey new york (laughs) some other things that i guess like could be forgotten is the the performances that happened so early on in the season like february and march were pretty great you got ed cesarek's 349 mile You've got Joffrey Kemwar's insane half marathon championship where he throws down like a 13 low. I think it was made in like 1310 or something like that. 5K from like 15K to 25 to, to 21K. It's been quite the year, Kevin Leaf. Thank you for joining me. And let's do this again next year. Sounds good. Happy New Year, everyone.
Like, 